The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He wrote this to a church that he planted, that he started, that he actually was a pastor of for about a year and a half, and then he was away from it for a little bit, a couple of years, and then they started having problems, and then they wanted to get counsel from him, and they wrote him some letters, and he responded uh, in various forms, uh, and one of those was through this very letter here, First Corinthians, where he addresses problems in the church at Corinth, a relatively young and new church, but bustling with a lot of energy and uh, a gifted church, but confused and predominantly, probably primarily a non-Jewish church, folks who grew up as pagans in a Greek culture and were influenced by many worldly lifestyles, worldviews, and that began to crop up and create a problem in their Christian life. And so Paul has to address these as they arise one by one. So we are looking at a section that goes 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's a whole unit. It all goes together. Uh, the theme in those three chapters is spiritual gifts, as he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, now concerning spirituals, or now concerning spiritual gifts. I need to address this issue. Uh, it has come up. There's been confusion. Um, and he's going to spend time at length uh, telling them God's point of view regarding spiritual gifts. So we're just going to go straight through. Uh, we actually got to verse 9 last, no, verse 8. So we've done about four sermons all the way up to verse 8. And now in verse, starting in verse 8, we're actually addressing specific gifts that Paul lists by name. Uh, and I do, I, w- I want to take them very specifically and sp- explain to the best of our ability what I think uh, the spiritual gifts are. It's totally relevant for us because the topic of spiritual gifts is confusing today in the church. Uh, it can be divisive. It's also relevant because God wants us to continue to use our spiritual gifts, so we need to know what they are, how we're supposed to be using them, to what end. Last week I highlighted that verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12 is actually the key verse in chapter 12. It's an umbrella statement. It's got two main parts. In verse 7 he says, But to each one, each Christian, is given a manifestation of the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is, Every Christian has a spiritual gift. And it could be more than one gift. It could be a a gift that is complex and multifaceted. But every Christian has a spiritual gift. Hugely important. That was the first point of emphasis. And then the second part of that was, uh, every Christian has a spiritual gift of the Spirit for the common good. So that's the purpose of your gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift, and the purpose is that we might edify others, we might edify the body of Christ. That's the main reason we have spiritual gifts, is to bless others in the church so that the church body corporately can continue to grow and mature. In the rest of chapter 12, Paul fleshes out those two points, that every Christian has a spiritual gift, and then he begins to list nine of them in a row by name. And then the second part, for the common good, the rest of the chapter, he explains what he means by that, for mutual edification. That's what the spiritual gifts are for. Um, he's countering this idea that some people were using their spiritual gifts to edify themselves. Self-serving. And Paul's saying that that's totally backwards. You don't use your spiritual gift to edify yourself. It's for the common good. So last week we looked at uh, two spiritual gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And we're going to pick up uh, after verse 8. We'll pick up at verse 9 um, where Paul says, uh, starting at verse 8, for to each one is given the word of knowledge. Uh, the word of wisdom, and then verse 9 says, and to another, or to uh, different Christians, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. So today's sermon, I put there, the title just really simple, The Gift of Faith. The Gift of Faith. Um, Boy, in my years, I haven't heard a whole lot of sermons just on the gift of faith, what it is, Uh, and the more I thought about it, we, we need to know this. This is very important, vitally important. Um, it's blessed my soul to go into it in detail in my own personal study, and I thought it would bless our church as a result. So that's what we're going to look at today is this spiritual gift called the gift of faith. But before I do that, one thing that I haven't done yet um, is to mention what the spiritual gifts are as given by Paul and the other apostles in the New Testament. 
um, the Apostle Paul gives three different sections where he lists spiritual gifts. Uh, I'll just give you a quick overview. Ephesians 4, these are the three main passages where you'll find spiritual gifts listed. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, which is right here, and then in Romans 12. In those three chapters, Paul actually names specific spiritual gifts. If you combine all three lists together, you'll come up with 19 spiritual gifts that Paul lists or delineates. 19. Uh, let me tell you what the 19 are. You don't need to write these down, but just here, here's where, here are the 19 gifts that Paul gives. Wisdom, or a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, Apostle, prophet, teaching, or teachers, helps, or service, administration, or leadership, exhortation, giving, mercy, evangelist, or evangelism, and pastor. Those are the 19 that Paul lists. The epitome of the exercise of the spiritual gifts, I believe, or the, the best model to follow, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's interesting that in the Gospels, we can see Jesus manifesting or exhibiting, showcasing how these gifts should be used. All 19 of them, except for two. It's kind of interesting. We don't have an example of Jesus ever speaking in tongues or interpreting the speaking of tongues. But the other 17 we do. Even... Apostle, the gift of apostle. Jesus was the sent one from the Father. He's even called apostle in the New Testament. So Jesus is the exemplar or the greatest model for us to follow with respect to these gifts. And it would also be true with the gift of faith. Jesus was the greatest model of what it means to walk by faith and live by faith as he did trusting the Father every step of the way of his ministry. So those are the 19 gifts that Paul delineates. Interestingly enough, during our Q&A Someone asked, or maybe it was an email, the 19 that are listed, are we sure that those are all the ones that are available, or could there be more? And the 19 that are given are very specific. And one thing that I was able to do is I thought of every ministry in the church here at GBF, and I was able to put every, I think we came up with like 40-something different ministries here at GBF, and I was able to put every one of those ministries under one of those 19 categories of where uh, it was affiliated with. So I believe that 19 uh, given by the Apostle Paul are sufficient or adequate to delineate all ministries uh, that need to be done in the church. Some of them are all-encompassing, like the gift of helps or service. That includes a lot of... There's about a zillion different ways to serve. If you have the gift of helps or service, uh, that can include a lot of different things. So uh, just I needed to speak to that issue. Um, 19 spiritual gifts. The Apostle Peter in First Peter 4, he mentioned spiritual gifts. But he only gives two categories. He doesn't list all the spiritual gifts. He just says there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And I was able to put every ministry in the church I could think of under those two categories, serving or speaking. And that's just Peter's breakdown. Um, Other introductory thoughts about gifts before we look at the gift of faith. Um, Especially in light of today, the gift of faith we need to keep in mind that spiritual gifts need to be distinguished from fruits of the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God, you will produce spiritual fruits in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, uh, gentleness, self-control, those kind of things. Uh, That's not a spiritual gift per se. Those are fruits that could be manifest in any Christian's life as they live a life of obedience. Uh, so those need to be distinguished from spiritual gifts. Uh, also, gifts are different uh, than generic abilities and blessings that all believers have. Today we're looking at the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith. Not everybody has the spiritual gift of faith because not everybody has the same gifts. Paul is clear about that. There are select few, as God sovereignly determined, that will have this gift of faith, whatever it is. But every Christian is a person of faith. Every Christian possesses faith, exhibits faith, is supposed to grow in faith. And so we need to keep in mind there's spiritual gifts 
on the one hand, like the gift of faith, and then there's these generic truths that are true of all Christians. All Christians should have faith. Or some are gifted at evangelism, but every Christian is called to evangelize, right? So you'll see that in a lot of these gifts. We're supposed to encourage one another. That's a command for every Christian. But there are some who are gifted with the gift of encouragement. So we need to keep that distinction in mind. Also, uh, don't confuse New Testament spiritual gifts with Old Testament gifts. We made it clear from Ephesians 4 a few weeks ago, the spiritual gifts were given by Jesus after his death, resurrection, and ascension, and then he gave gifts to the church for the building up of the church, of his bride. This is uh, totally different than any gifts that maybe have been manifest in the Old Testament. Gifts are different than general imperatives, commands, or expectations. What I mean by that is every Christian is commanded to pray and expected to pray. How come you don't pray? How come you don't pray enough? Well, I don't have the gift of prayer. Uh, that's not my spiritual gift. How come you don't evangelize? Well, that's not my gift. How come you don't give? Well, uh, my gift is actually receiving, not giving. Um, no, it doesn't work that way. So there are general commands, imperatives that every Christian is expected to do. Uh, all the one another's, we've got over f- almost 40 one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, serve one another. All the one another's are expected of every Christian to be a regular part of their life. You don't have to be spiritually gifted in the one another's to do it, in obedience to God and to bless others. Uh, Other basic commands, we're commanded to get baptized, we're commanded to take communion, we're commanded to disciple. Every Christian should be involved in discipling and learning and growing. Uh, Forgiving, that's a Christian discipline. You don't need a spiritual gift to be a forgiving person. That's... You are obligated by knowing Jesus Christ to be a forgiving person. So we need to keep the spiritual gifts distinct from generic obligations that are true of every Christian. And uh, another point about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities. So if every Christian is supposed to evangelize, what's the point of having the gift of evangelism? Or if every Christian is supposed to grow in faith, what's the point of having the spiritual gift of faith or if every christian is supposed to be learning what's the point of having a spiritual gift of teaching and on and on it goes well the beauty or i believe god's design of having different people gifted in different ways accomplishes many good things for god's church having spiritual gifts provides areas of specialization in certain people in the church that allow that church to go deeper in its walk with christ and also wider, or in terms of the depth and the breadth, these spiritual gifts. Gifts are supernatural abilities that allow us to specialize, and when working in concert uh, with others, enable a church not to be anemic or one-dimensional or shallow or unhealthy. So when Christians actually utilize their spiritual gifts to God's potential, we can add great depth to a church, great depth to a church, or breadth to a church, great diversity. We're not just one-dimensional We don't only just do one thing. We do many things because we have many uh, people that God has given us who are gifted in so many different areas. So the spiritual gifts add diversity, efficiency, uh, production, and output in a church. They add a proper balance. That's why Paul's going to go into the illustration of the body with all of its members. The body of Christ is not just a head. It's many body parts. So having different people equipped with supernatural abilities called spiritual gifts, provides the needed balance in the body of Christ. So uh, that's why it is so vitally important. So so I guess the main thing I wanted to emphasize there is if you don't know what your spiritual gift is or you're still trying to discover it, you can't use that as an excuse as to why you're not serving. Well, I'm not serving because I don't know my spiritual gift yet. Or I can't do this because that's not in my area of giftedness. No, that's not true. If we need everybody to pick up uh, the folding chairs, then everybody needs to pick up the folding chairs. Just be a servant. Be like Jesus. You don't have to be spiritually gifted to wash somebody's dirty feet like Jesus did, right? That, that, that's just an issue of the heart and love towards one another. So just some important distinctions I wanted to uh, reiterate before we move on. So let's go ahead and look at the gift of faith. I provided a handout there for you. If I were to ask you, what is your spiritual gift and do you have the gift of faith? It'd be interesting to hear what you have to say. I think there are some people in this congregation who have the gift of faith. Uh, and that's based on the definition that I'm going to 
gleaned from the scriptures that I want to share with you this morning. So uh, I give you an overview or survey of the gift of faith. Let's go ahead and look at it on your handout there. First, I want to make a distinction of different kinds of faith. The word faith in the New Testament uh, is used in many different contexts. Sometimes it's used as a noun, sometimes as a verb, maybe as an adjective. Um, and then it has different meanings in different contexts. So that's point number one, different kinds of faith. Let's be clear about what we're talking about when we talk about the gift of faith. I want to make a distinction. Uh, the first point is there is a human faith that I just call human trust that's out in the world. Uh, this is not, we are not talking about this. This has actually nothing to do with biblical faith. Human trust is that um, it's at a human level. It's based on uh, natural law of how God has created this world and sustains this world. Uh, illustrations frequently are given um, when people are trying to illustrate faith. Sitting down in a chair is a great step of faith because you believe and trust that that chair is going to hold you up. And I would say, actually, that's not faith at all. That's trial and error, and that's based on natural law. That has nothing to do with biblical faith. And that's not what we're talking about. That's just human trust. Uh, so we need to make a distinction. We're not talking about human trust today. We're talking about something beyond what is natural. We're talking about something that is supernatural. And so that would be uh, points B, C, D, and E. Now we're going to uh, distinguish biblical supernatural faith from human trust. We're going from the natural world to the supernatural world. And uh, here are four kinds of biblical faith in the Bible. The first one there is letter B, and that's saving faith. There's saving faith. This is not the gift of faith that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. Saving faith, uh, I put down Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian, there's only one way you got saved. It was by God's grace, because we didn't deserve to be saved. He extended his grace to us. We heard the gospel. He took the initiative. We heard about Christ. We heard about Jesus. We heard about his perfect life, his substitutionary death on a cross. We heard that Jesus died for sinners as their substitute in fulfillment of Scripture, that he was buried, he rose again from the dead, and calls out to sinners that they might come to him and be saved. And when we hear that message and we recognize we are sinful, I need a Savior, Jesus, save me from my sin. When that happens, at that moment, you reach a point of saving faith. Uh, that's a specific kind of faith. It's actually kind of a one-time faith, and it brings you into justification or the family of God. It's called saving faith, the faith that saved you. There's another kind of supernatural faith, and that's what I just call generic or general faith. That's point C there. This is ongoing faith in the life of a Christian. Faith is um, trusting in God. Trusting in God, believing his word, believing him. And every Christian is required to have ongoing faith in their life. And they, they are promised by God to have that. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says that the Christian walks by faith, not by sight. That's the Christian life. We walk by the promises of God that we've heard from Scripture. Walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a biblical definition of faith, that faith is... Uh, the substance or the evidence of things not seen. Again, it's that idea of walking by faith and not by sight, trusting God in his word, in his promises, moving forward, resting in him. So there's general faith that every Christian has in their life that they continue to have, that even scripture says we need to continue to grow in our faith on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is day-to-day, -day, trusting in God, leaning on him, trusting in him every step of the way, trusting primarily in his word and his promises to us that we heard through scripture. And it is absolutely vital for the Christian life in an ongoing way. General faith. Every Christian has this faith. So every Christian has saving faith, and every Christian has general and ongoing generic faith. And that ongoing general and generic faith for a Christian can wane. It can grow strong. It can become weak. It can be inhibited by the trials of life. It can be inhibited by the lies of Satan. It can be undermined by uh, a lack of time of being in the Word. It can be undercut by sin or compromise in our life. Nevertheless, our faith goes on, and it is continual, but it is being attacked from just about every conceivable angle, and we need to protect our faith and grow in our faith and pursue our faith and rest in God. And we have to stay in his word and stay in prayer and trusting him. Uh, so that's kind of how the day-to-day -day life of faith goes for the Christian. And then finally, or letter D, is 
a case where faith is used as a noun, and that's the body of Christian doctrine that uh, Jude talks about. Uh, once for all delivered, the faith, the Christian faith, once and for all delivered to the saints. This is the, the truths of biblical doctrine that is called the faith. It is our faith. It is uh, objective. It is the doctrines of Christianity and the gospel uh, that we find in Scripture. And there it's used as a noun. What we're talking about today is letter E. And that is the spiritual gift of faith. This is a unique ability that God gives certain people and not everybody. So that will take us to point number two. The definition of the spiritual gift of faith is simply it is a unique supernatural ability. That's important. It's, a, it's not a natural ability. It is a supernatural ability. It comes only from God. So if you have the gift of faith, it is a unique supernatural ability. By the way, all faith, all true faith that a Christian possesses is supernatural. And that's why I put the word unique here with respect to the spiritual gift of faith. There are some, we all have faith, but there are some among us who have a unique dose of faith that God has given. And he has given them the gift, the spiritual gift of faith. So it is a unique dose or a unique uh, gift from God, supernatural ability to believe God at his word. What is faith? It is believing God's word. It's as simple as I can say it. Faith is believing God's word. Romans ten seventeen. Paul defines what faith is and where it comes from. More clearly in Romans ten seventeen than anywhere else. And he says, and it's actually, he talks about the origin. Where does faith come from? Where does spiritual, supernatural God's faith come from? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing. So in other words, it's outside of ourselves. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from heaven. Faith comes from results from hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's the only place faith comes from. It is not innate to us. It is not inborn. Faith comes only from God, and it comes only from his special revelation, from divine revelation. That is the only source of true biblical supernatural faith. By the way, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that faith is a gift from God. We can't conjure up faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and then he goes on to say, and that not of yourselves. What's the that? The that's meaning everything. The grace God gave you to get saved, the faith God gave you to believe, it is a gift from God, it is not of yourselves. So, faith is supernatural, it is given by God, it's initiated by God, it always comes in response to hearing the word of God, a revelation about God, special revelation, divine revelation from God. That is its only source. From his word. Today, for us, it's from scripture. Are you weak in faith, waning in faith? Your faith has been undermined. Where do, oh, God, I need faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, how do you get more faith? There's only one way to do it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's it. You can't go anywhere else to increase or bolster your faith, according to Scripture. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So, this is important. Faith doesn't come from intuition. Biblical Faith doesn't come from experience. It doesn't come from mystical or religious experiences. Faith doesn't come from emotion. Faith can't be conjured up by the human in and of themselves. Faith does not come from archaeology and looking at a rock or a stone. Faith is external to ourselves. Faith comes only from the truth of God's word. That's how we increase and grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God foundational fundamental and so the gift the person who is gifted with the gift of faith they have a a unique and supernatural capacity to believe god at his word in a way that most people don't most christians do not they're like a hundred watt light bulb in the the arena of believing god at his word while some of us might be yeah i believe in god and i'm a 55 watt light bulb so that's the definition of this specific gift, the unique ability. Let's look at some examples of those gifted with maybe the gift of faith and those who are not. I uh, can't go through all of them, but I want to look at some ne- negative examples of those who lacked faith. It's kind of the opposite, and these are believers, actually. So uh, the first one I want to look at, look at uh, Luke chapter 1. 
This was when, at the time of John the Baptist being born, and uh, Luke 1, Zacharias, the high priest, father of John the Baptist, was about to, he was a, a priest, he was going to serve his duty. Uh, Luke 1, 8 says, and now it happened that while uh, he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the temple, as he was appointed to do so, he goes in, he starts uh, to do his duty inside the temple, according to the custom, um, inside the temple, verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. So there's a whole bunch of people outside praying for Zacharias as he's in there in the temple ministering on behalf of God. And then all of a sudden, while Zacharias is in the temple, it says the angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias according to, or uh, standing at the right of the altar. In verse 12, how did Zacharias respond to the angel? It says, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. He was startled. He was afraid. It was a supernatural being. Probably how most of us would respond. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Do not fear. It's interesting that one of the opposite things of faith is fear. He was lacking faith. He had fear. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why, yet in his mother's womb. I mean, this is exciting. Yippee, this is awesome. That is not how Zacharias responded. He's still gripped with fear, which inhibits his ability to believe all of this. Verse 16, and the angel goes on and he will be uh, turn many of the sons of Israel back to their God. Verse 17, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And then look at verse 18, Zacharias' response. Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? You know what that is? That is a statement of disbelief. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be, here it is, you shall be silent and unable to speak. You know what? God's going to shut your mouth, Zacharias, and you're going to be dumb, and you won't be able to talk. You are going to be punished. Why is Zacharias being punished? You will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words. So he had a lack of faith. This is, Zacharias was getting divine revelation from heaven. Special revelation. He did not believe it. He is punished as a result. He is a believer. But you did not believe. And so God silenced him for a period of time. So that's a negative example of faith. He didn't respond positively in faith, believing the divine revelation that God had given him. Uh, go to, stay in Luke and go to Luke chapter 10. You have two examples, two women. One who was prone to believe the Lord and one who was uh, maybe not prone to believe the Lord because she was distracted by many things. Uh, one of the things that inhibits faith are the distractions and the worries of the world. Because faith happens... Faith doesn't originate from the heart. It originates from the mind, from your thought life. It's an intellectual process and procedure. It has to do with how you uh, take in process and react to truth and divine revelation. So it's about your mind. It's control of the mind. And so uh, you have two ladies here, and one is a negative example of Faith. Again, these two ladies, they are believers. Uh, Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha, remember Martha? Welcomed Jesus into her home. Hey, Jesus, come on in. Have dinner, fellowship, place to rest. Great entertainer. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary. So this is Martha and Mary. They are sisters. They're in the home together. So Jesus comes in, uh, and Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. Jesus comes into the home. He begins to teach. He is the great rabbi. He's God in the flesh. He's speaking the word of truth. And Mary is bowing down in awe at his feet, learning and taking in the word of God from Jesus Christ 
himself. Her priorities are fixed on her Savior, on Jesus, on her Lord. So while this divine, infallible Bible study is going on in the living room, with Jesus himself as the Bible teacher, and Mary appropriately down on her face listening to the words of Jesus, what is Martha doing? Uh, She was distracted. That's verse 40. She was distracted with so many things. The preparation, the kitchen, the dishes, the serving, the dessert, the tea, the cleanup, the servants, whatever it was. These are all worldly things or external things or things that aren't as important as listening to Jesus himself. It's clear in the story, verse 40. But Martha was distracted. There it is. Distracted with all her, her preparations, not things God required, not things Jesus required. It was her agenda that short-circuited the process of her growing in faith, and it was a great opportunity for her that she missed. And she's distracted by all the preparations. Well, I can't feed all these people by myself. My sister Martha, she's not in here. She, I mean, Mary, she needs to be helping me. What is she doing? She's in there listening to Jesus. I'm doing all the work myself, and here's, you can see, she's just beginning to fret and grow in her anxiety. And so she approaches Jesus, came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister Mary has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me right now. I added that last part. And the Lord Jesus, as gracious as he is, uh, he answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. That's a rebuke. Martha, Martha, you are worried that's a synonym for you have anxiety. You're overwhelmed with anxiety and fretting. Your, your thinking is not right. Worry and anxiety and fretting drowns out faith. It does. It undercuts faith. You, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And you know what? They're frivolous. They aren't the priority. It's a waste of energy. Really, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is the priority Your Savior is here in your presence and in your midst. You should be down listening like your sister Mary. Not trying to fulfill your own agenda. You're worried and bothered about so many things, distressing you, preoccupying, and and it's got your mind off track and off kilter because true biblical faith is focusing on the divine revelation of God and believing it and basking in it. And Instead, it's being undermined by the worries and distractions and anxieties of the world. But only one thing's necessary. Oh, and he points, he, Mary, you want me to talk about Mary? I will. Mary has chosen the good part. Mary's got the right priorities. Mary's actually doing the right thing, which shall not be taken away from her. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, those are two negative examples. So Martha, who actually was a believer and grew in her faith, we know from the Gospel of John, uh, we can see how her faith was circumvented or undercut by her worry, her distraction, her own agenda, her short-sightedness. And that, that will smother simple biblical faith so often. So let's go to a positive example. Uh, let's go to Acts 27. This is the Apostle Paul. He is now headed to Rome. He is a prisoner. He's going to face trial. He's on a ship with uh, hundreds of other people. And it's not looking good. Their ship is going to crash. Paul knows it. The people know it. And it does. It capsizes. Look at Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 21. There's the shipwreck starting at verse 14. As they're out in the Mediterranean Sea, verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and he said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete with the bad weather and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of God, uh, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me. So this is divine revelation. Again, an angel spoke to Paul. Now, he could have responded the way Zacharias did and not believe the angel, but Paul responded in faith. I believe Paul actually had the spiritual gift of faith. And here is one example where he exhibits it. It looks perilous. Death looks imminent. Nevertheless, Paul is going to trust God's word over the circumstances. Paul is going to trust God's revelation over his emotions. Trusting God at his word. 
Verse 24, the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Verse 25, Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, I believe, there it is, that is the gift of faith, I believe. I believe this divine revelation. For I believe that God, I believe God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Here's what God said by virtue of his divine revelation. I believe God at face value. I believe God's word. I'm standing on the rock of his promises. That's the gift of faith. And that's what Paul did. Amazing. That's why I believe the Apostle Paul had the gift of faith. The gift of faith is that supernatural capacity and unique ability to believe God at his word in a unique way that few around you do. Now, the gift of faith is, is kind of different from all the other 19 gifts that I mentioned. I, I read the list of 19. And just about every one of those other gifts, you can practically see how it immediately serves someone else's need. For example, the gift of teaching. When I teach, uh, objectively, you can see that there's an audience. They are being fed. They are being blessed. They're being challenged. There's an interchange going on there. And there's a service that I am rendering by using my gift of teaching. Or if I have the gift of giving, I am giving monetarily or whatever else, and there's somebody that's a recipient, and there's a tangible blessing that they're receiving. But when it comes to the gift of faith, that's not always clear as to how is it a direct service to somebody else. How can my faith be a direct service to bless somebody else or the common good? That's why I think faith is one of the unique gifts in terms of how it manifests itself and produces its fruit. It could be one of those gifts that, indeed, when it is exercised, many are blessed by it, and many don't even know they're being blessed by somebody else's gift of faith. What is the tangible, the most tangible uh, fruit of the gift of faith? I would have to say probably answered prayer. Probably answered prayer. And people with the gift of faith, they pray in unique ways. They pray in majestic and amazing ways. They pray uh, to a God that's bigger than most people pray to. And people with the gift of faith often have amazing answers to prayer. And many times those answers to prayer overflow and bless many others. And many times other Christians don't even realize they're being blessed of the overflow of somebody else's amazing step of faith and prayer. And all they're, they're just being blessed. They don't even know why they're being blessed. They don't even know they are being blessed. So there is a direct service of the gift of faith. And here, this is true with Paul uh, on that ship. I believe, I believe. And what was the immediate blessing for everybody else? They were all saved. No one died. So that is the positive example. There are many more. Uh, let's go on to traits of the gift of faith. Number four. As I was uh, just, again, just gleaning through Scripture, looking at faith, studying faith, the manifestations of faith. I wanted to be real practical uh, for us to think about, well, do I have the gift of faith? So I just, here's a running list. It's not in any order of priority. These are just, I think, principles that could indicate that maybe you have the gift of faith. Or maybe it's, so evaluate yourself as I read through these characteristics and traits. And think about yourself, is this true of me? Is this uh, the antithesis of me? Where are you when it comes to ongoing faith? Uh, these are traits and characteristics I believe that someone who is great in faith has typically in their life or they're manifest in one way or another. Uh, the first one, because faith comes by hearing the word of God, this has got to be priority number one. Somebody who has the gift of faith, they readily believe God's word at face value. They readily believe God's word at face value. When they hear the Bible taught, doesn't matter if it's Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 3, Job, uh, John, Revelation, whatever, and it doesn't matter what the topic is, they hear scripture from God and they believe it at face value. I, I believe Genesis 1. I, I believe that God created the world in the beginning just as he said. I believe that he did it in six days just as it says. I believe Adam was a real person who was made from the dust of the ground. I believe that Eve was made from a rib. I believe that um, a, a snake talked to Adam because that's what the scripture says and that's what Moses said in Exodus 20 and that's what Jesus said. Jesus believed Genesis and I believe that Jesus actually walked on water and I believe that Jesus uh, did miracles. And you just, you, you hear, you just have a propensity to believe God's word at face value. You don't question it. You don't critique it. 
You're not the, constantly the perpetual devil's advocate. Well, what about this and what about that? We're always trying to find the exception clause to what the Bible says. And kind of becoming a critic of it. So I, I believe the person with the gift of faith actually has a very sensitive, soft, submissive attitude and heart towards Scripture because that's where it starts. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by submitting to the truth of the Word of God. And that, that talks about your attitude towards divine revelation. And for us, that is Scripture. That's what, For me, I mean, I would admit that there's some crazy doctrines from a human point of view in the Bible. Election, eternal hell, uh, there's a lot of them. The only reason I believe that they are true because they're in the Bible. It's just how I'm wired. It's in the Bible. Uh, the person with the gift of faith uh, readily believes God's word, readily submits to God's word. Uh, the person with the gift of faith, probably they are not prone to questioning face value meaning of God's word. Um, the person with the gift of faith, I think this is key, has a vital prayer life. And it could be manifest in many different ways. A vital prayer life. Why do I say that? Because faith has to issue itself somehow, tangibly. And many times people with faith, it, it manifests itself through prayer. God, I believe you. God, I believe you for great things. I believe the promises of your word. I'm going to stand on the promises of your word. In the face of doubt and all the trials of life and the naysayers in the world, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to rest in you solidly. That pleases God. God blesses that kind of faith. And someone with the gift of faith, they have a vital prayer life. They know God personally, intimately. He's a dynamic, ongoing, living God who actually talks to them very personally and answers their prayer and cares and does great things. And so that's why their prayer life is vital. It's dynamic. It's exciting. And like I said, it can manifest itself in different ways. Uh, So this is like the third or fourth church I've been a part of over the last 20 plus years. And Every church I've ever been a part of always has a prayer service for their saints. Usually it was once a month or maybe it was on Wednesday nights. Churches from 50 people, church in Utah to church of hundreds and thousands of people and other churches that I've been a part of. And it's, it's always been the same dynamic at every church I've been a part of, especially the churches I've been a part of on staff. At the monthly prayer meeting or the weekly prayer meeting, you don't have 100% attendance. You have about, oh, maybe 10 to 20% attendance at those prayer meetings. And you know what? It's the same people who always show up for the prayer meetings. And this was true here in Northern California. This was also true down in Southern California. This was true in Utah. This was true in Texas. And I have determined over the years that through these common denominators, the people that are showing up for these prayer meetings are probably people who have the gift of faith. They believe in prayer. They believe it makes a difference. They have a vital prayer and walk with God. Um, they make prayer a priority in their life. And they come to prayer meetings. And God does great things. That's just been my experience. Uh, I had one of my favorite seminary professors. He had a prayer journal uh, that he carried with him all the time. And just an old dear saint. And constantly asking the students, you know, how can I pray for you? And he'd, he'd literally write down what you would say. And he'd, two weeks later, he'd track you down. So how's it going with Debbie? Cliff? Oh, good. She said yes. Oh, praise the Lord. And, I mean, he's cataloging all this. And he's got journal after journal after journal over the course of a 30, 40-year ministry at seminary. He was a man of prayer, a man of faith, because he believed God answered prayer. So if you have the gift of faith, I think your prayer life has to be uh, the manifestation of your great faith. Uh, another manifestation of your prayer life is you will be a person who perseveres in prayers. You don't give up. How long have you been praying for relatives to be saved? Has it been 20, 30 years and you just kind of give up and wave the white flag? Oh, they're never going to get saved. Or do you continue to believe and trust God and you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep persevering because you know God hears you? That's the gift of faith, to keep persevering like that. I think people with a gift of faith have an amazing prayer life, but I think they also, with that prayer life, they have a legacy of amazing answered prayers. And they can recall them in detail and quickly, and they're never forgetting to give God the glory for all the wonderful, amazing things that He did. It's not like, oh, God bless me, boom, thank you, God, and then they move on and forget. 
then they're whining about their next problem. It's always ever-present in their mind and memory of the great, amazing things that this living, loving God has done on their behalf. It's always on the tip of the tongue of the great things God has done in answer to prayer. And so that's why they have this legacy of amazing answers to prayer. One after the other, after the other, after the other. And just like, wow. And when you hear that testimony, it blesses your soul. That's how a person who has the gift of faith can bless the common good. He can testify for the greatness of God in this very personal, intimate way through answered prayer by their acts of faith and perseverance in prayer. A legacy of amazing answers to prayer. I was thinking about this. Uh, and also people with the gift of faith, I think they pray a lot of prayers, persevering prayers, little prayers, and I think they also pray big prayers. They pray risky prayers. That's been my experience. They pray amazing prayers. They pray, they ask things for God that I would never even think of asking. For me, one of the most personal examples of someone with the gift of faith would probably be uh, Dr. Bob Provost from Master's College, Master's Seminary, now the president of the Slavic Gospel Association, just because I've known him since the 1980s and have seen his life. And it, from the day I first ever heard him speak in chapel in the 1980s at the Master's College, his, most of his sermon was prayers God had answered in his life. And they were amazing prayers. And you're just like, wow, really? Wow, that is awesome. Wow, that is amazing. And that's kind of been the story of his life. And he walks by faith and not by sight. And it's contagious and it is encouraging and it is edifying and it encourages my faith and it motivates me to want to pray more and trust God more and lean on him more and ask for uh, have a greater vision of what God can do in your life moving mountains as Jesus would say not little anthills mountains how great is your faith a uh, recent example I, I sent out an email to this church uh, about one of Bob Provost's crazy ideas um, he wanted to translate my book for, uh, on the apologetics into Russian. It was just a vision he had a couple of years ago. Uh, you know what we need to do? We need to translate this into Russian and get this into the hands of Russian pastors all over the world. And we need to get on that right now. And he, he's not, I'm thinking, doesn't that like cost money, Bob? I mean, you, you don't really have a whole lot of money to do that. Uh, but he just had the vision and he laid it before God and he starts praying and he starts talking to other saints and asking them to pray. And uh, they start translating the book. Uh, and it's been going on for a year. It's a long book. And they're translating this thing. And, and then he sends me an email like two months ago of the plan for it. Okay, we need to, uh, I want to produce 5,000 copies in the Russian language. And I want to give this away for free as a gift to Russian pastors all over the world. And at the Shepherd's Conference. And at the very end he says, and this will probably cost us like $20,000 plus. I'm like, whoa. I don't have $20,000. And I don't know anybody that does. <laughs> so, and... For whatever reason, I just said, well, I'll just send this to uh, the GBF church just to ask them to pray. I wasn't asking anybody for money. And so I sent that email out like a month and a half ago to GBF. Uh, here's an update on the apologetics book uh, being translated into Russian. And, and pray for Bob and this project. That's all I was basically saying. And then just recently, um, someone gave a check for $25,000 for this project. I don't know who it was. All right, no, I, I do now, but um, it was from someone from the GBF family and community. And I'm thinking, praise the Lord. That never would have happened had it not been for someone who had the gift of faith and a great vision that God was moving on their heart very specifically through the Holy Spirit, and it was through our, our servant, Bob Provo. So that's just one example that these things really happened today. And sometimes people accuse us, well, you don't believe in all the gifts, and you don't believe in miracles anymore. <laughs> yeah, I believe in miracles. The greatest miracle in the history of the world is when God turns a sinner into a saint. It's called salvation. There is no greater miracle. It happens all the time. It happened in my life. And every time God answers a prayer, that's a miracle. The supernatural living God interacting with us fallen, frail, finite sinners doing good on our behalf. That's a miracle, isn't it? So we, we need people gifted with the gift of faith in our midst that we might be blessed and they become a model for us to follow. Uh, just a couple other things. Characteristics of those who have the gift of faith. They, they aren't, they walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, 
They aren't distracted by the circumstances or the events or the emotion or the drama or whatever, what's going on now. They are heavenly minded. They see the big picture. They're not myopic and focused on the earthly. They aren't overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and fretting all the time because that drowns out faith. We know that. They just have a supernatural peace about their mindset and their demeanor. There are people like that here at GBF who I talk to. They bless my soul. It's like, do you, do you ever like worry or? I asked one person, have you ever been depressed? And they genuinely said no. And you know what? I believed them. Because they just have such a peace. I think that's a supernatural gift from God. Could be the gift of faith. Just trusting in Him and trusting in His sovereignty. They, they actually really truly believe in every circumstance, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good. All things. Everything. For His good. For our good. Well, hopefully that's a little bit uh, or helpful, all those traits and characteristics. And uh, we praise the Lord for people that he's put in our midst who have the gift of faith, that the overflow of them exercising their gift pours out onto us and helps us grow and edifies and encourages us all for his glory. With that, let's go ahead and go to the Father and commit our time to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that faith comes from only one place and it comes from hearing about the word of Christ. It's a gift from you. And even if we don't have the gift of faith, we know that we can grow in our faith and we can do that by going to your word and being taught of your spirit and being fervent in prayer and encouraged by other saints. So I pray that that would be true in every believer's life that's with us. This day we pray you'd be glorified in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.